Welcome to ISO Chats Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. During the COVID-19 isolation, I chatted with lots of my friends and colleagues here at Moore about theology, Christian life and ministry. It's the kind of discussion we'd normally have over morning tea, but the topics are highly relevant to life in a changing world. So I wanted to let you listen in. Enjoy. Today I welcome uh, Andrew Sheet. Andrew is the head of the Old Testament department here at Moore College. And Andrew has done a lot of work in the book of Jeremiah, as well as a lot of other things. But uh, uh, Andrew's work involves reading Jeremiah, understanding what Jeremiah has to say, and reading Jeremiah, particularly in light of biblical, theological, and systematic theological issues. Uh, so I'm really glad to, to talk to Andrew. Andrew has a, a lot of insights from Jeremiah uh, to share, and I love just chatting to him over morning tea and at lunches and other things at uh, college. So. I just thought I'd ask him some questions about what he's been thinking about recently uh, and how that can relate to things today. So welcome, Andrew. Oh, thanks, Lionel. Thank you. Thank you. You make me sound much more expert than I am, but uh, always like a chance to think about Jeremiah with someone. Absolutely. It's very, it's always very interesting. And we can often have very wide ranging discussions about all sorts we of can. Uh, issues, and which is great. That's, uh, that, that's because Jeremiah has something to say about almost everything. Ah, okay. Well, what, what, what have you been thinking about particularly? Um, well, I th well, almost I... everything. Yes. Almost everything. Yes. Um, one thing recently is uh, just thinking about the way in which God is presented in the book of Jeremiah as a judge, um, which is obviously a difficult uh, concept, the idea that God judges. Um, and I guess the way in which Jeremiah particularly uh, presents God's compassion and his judgment together in a way that I think is fairly distinctive in, uh, in the Old Testament anyway. Mm. So the presentation of those together is, it's, it's important uh, to, to think of those two things together, uh, yeah. isn't it? Because uh, often in our world, people just think of those two things as polar opposites. Well, either God is a judge or he's compassionate. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And in my... Yeah, in my reading on Jeremiah, you know, people say things like, well, God is violent, punishing and abusive. And that's a caricature that we come across quite a lot these days, don't we? Mm, yes, we, we, all the time, all the time. Uh, in yeah. fact, just the other day I was, I was speaking to someone about that. Uh, well, so we have God, the judge and God, the compassionate. Where, anywhere in particular in, in Jeremiah that you... Would yeah, um... I guess where my mind probably first turns is the opening chapters, the opening six chapters or chapters two to six. Um, you get a, a very amazing collection of uh, poetry in those chapters, which begins uh, probably chapters two and three. God is begging his people to return to him. And the main metaphor applied to God is that of a husband who's calling a wife to come back to him who's left him. And there's not really any anger. Uh, God is presented as somebody who feels sorrow, uh, pain, regret. Um, sure, anger as well, but in the context of that relationship. Then you get to like uh, chapter four, verse four, I think it is. 
got my Bible here to check. Mm. Uh, yeah. And halfway through the verse, the tone just flips a switch to God, the angry warrior. Mm. And you get these chapters four, five, and six in which God comes, um, you know, there's no husband, <laughs> there's no <laughs> compassion. God comes as this angry warrior determined to destroy Israel. Mm. Um, well, maybe, um, those chapters really, yeah. Yeah, let, let's, uh, that's, re- that's really interesting. Uh, just to take a step back and maybe provide for some historical context mm. and some, some context for, for this. What's, what's been going on in, in Israel at the time? Yeah, so uh, we're in the 6th century BC um, and uh, the Assyrian Empire is just about to die. The Babylonian Empire with Nebuchadnezzar is just about to come into power. And those shifting international politics uh, leave the little country of Judah um, with difficult decisions to make about who does it get behind, what alliances should it make. Um, and the prophets from Isaiah 100 years before, uh, right through to Jeremiah, are encouraging the people not to rest on these political alliances, but to trust that God is able to take care of them. Um, but uh the fundamental flaw of the people uh they do this double step they turn away from god towards idols and the idols of the nations that they want to ally themselves with mm-hmm. uh, and so what's on the horizon really is um a series of bad choices that judah is going to make to uh resist uh the rising power of babylon with the help of Egypt, uh, and to be destroyed by Babylon as a result. That's what's going to happen down the track. Mm. And Jeremiah is speaking into that situation uh, with disaster living on the horizon. So the idea of God being like a husband who's had his wife leave him and is, is calling for her to come back is in that context mm. of, of Judah uh, and, and, uh, yeah. forsaking yeah, God. Yeah, yeah. Mm. exactly. And there's always a political dimension, but fundamentally, uh, it's a call to be loyal to him as their God. Mm. Um, and politics are really an expression of disloyalty rather than the core problem. Mm. Okay. So mm. halfway through verse four, uh, he's, he's sort of um, shifts yeah. to, uh, do, do, would, you, would you like to read it? Or uh, I've got it in front of me too. But, uh, uh, well, uh, yes, he says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord, circumcise your hearts, is an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Mm. You people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done, burn with no one to quench it. Mm. And then you just get like three chapters of burning wrath. Um, And I think what really interests me in those chapters is trying to peer through the flames, as it were, and discern how God is characterized as a judge. Um, and the other half of that is how the people being judged are characterized because you can't really look at those one without the other. Mm. Um, yeah. And so, you know, there are so many, uh, it's full of questions, uh, these chapters that I think suggest God's fundamental reluctance uh, alongside his determination. You know, uh, he searches in. So he searches in vain for alternatives. Chapter 4, verse 14, Jerusalem, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How long will you harbor wicked thoughts? Mm. Um, Verse 30, 
what are you doing? Why dress yourself in scarlet and put on jewels of gold? Why highlight your eyes with makeup? He's using imagery of making up to the Egyptians. Um, chapter five, verse one, can you find one honest person? Uh, chapter five, verse seven, can you name one reason I should forgive you or not punish me? At the end of chapter five, should you not fear me? Uh, chapter six, verse 10, will no one listen? Yes, it's quite striking, isn't it? Mm. All these questions. Yes. Um, that shows, it's almost like God is searching in vain for alternatives. Mm. And how, what does that mean for God? Uh, I, because on the surface I could say, well, that, that just means that God is a little bit out of control. He's uh, really yeah. longing for, for Judah to come to him and yeah, he's yeah. not going to. So unfortunately he's got to you know, go to yeah, plan yeah. B. God, the God who tries and fails. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, exactly. And obviously these, this is part of the powerful rhetoric that fills Jeremiah's words that God has given him to prophesy. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think two things to that. Probably first of all, uh, it's about the, the type of relationship that exists between God and his listeners. Um, these are people whose rebellion is so deep seated um, that they're really beyond reclamation. Um, you know, the only thing that's going to change their behavior is a really deep um, change of attitude, a change of heart. Uh, they're besotted by all this stuff by and chapter five, it talks about sex and power, uh, profit in chapter six. Every time you criticize them, it just gets their backs up. Um, they want validation. Mm-hmm. You know, that basically sounds familiar, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the other prophets, except for Jeremiah, are giving them these nice little statements. Of, it's all going to be fine. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you do. Um, you're in his hands. Um, but the act of turning away from God has actually corrupted not only their desire and will, but even their reason. And it's full of language of just wisdom language, talking about how stupid they've become. Uh, you know, chapter 5, 21, hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but don't see, who have ears but don't hear. Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand a boundary for the sea. And he says, look at me. This is who I am. You're too dumb to even have fundamental response of self-preservation in the face of God. Mm. Um, and um, I think part of the, these questions is a way to try and open up people who are almost beyond opening up uh, to draw them into this conversation. Um, not because God is any, in any doubt of the answer to those questions, uh, but because asking them just completes the process of exposing what the people are. Mm. Um, So, you know, I think that's the first um, element there. And then of course, um, God's, you know, the end is never in doubt. This is the thing with the prophets uh, since probably Amos and the prophets in the previous century. Um, These are prophets through whom God is calling people to return to him, but he's calling people who've gone so far that they can't return to him. And the only way back to him is through judgment, not Mm. instead of judgment. Mm. And um, I guess what I'm saying is these are not questions that show 
God's doubt about what's going to happen. Yes. They're questions that helped to move the people down the path that they now have to go down. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So God's, God's character is not, yeah, is, is not out of control. He's actually doing it, doing this to move the people. Um, and, and moving them through judgment, moving to them to judgment, moving them through judgment. The only, the only path is through judgment now. That's, yeah. 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 Um, well, we're a long way. It's a long way through the book before we get to see any glimpses of the other side of judgment. Mm. You know, this time we just see the flames of fire here. Mm. Um, but that's going to be where we end up. Mm. I was speaking just the, the other day with just someone who, who we know who was uh, talking about, he was saying he was, he's an atheist. Uh, mm. And he, one of the things he was saying was, um, well, okay, tell me about your God. Your God says that um, he will judge me uh, unless I actually turn to him and have a relationship with him. Um, and if I don't, then he'll judge me. Um, and he, yeah. he said to me, look, that, that, that is not a God that is worthy of my uh, belief. I, 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 I'm not going to believe in that God because uh, he is an evil God. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, what, what might Jeremiah and, and these, these, uh, quest- these, these questions that we see here and, and this uh, yeah. prophetic work say to a question like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so many things, Lionel. Yeah. Uh, maybe the first one is just back to that verse that I was thinking about and I think read, uh, should you not tremble in my presence? I'm at the sand, a boundary for the sea. There's really interesting creation language in these chapters. There's another one where he talks about wisdom again, 4 verse 22. My people are fools. They do not know me. They're skilled in doing evil. They don't know how to do good. And then get this total change of uh, almost scene. He says, I looked at the earth. It was formless and empty. The heavens and their light was gone. You think, what does is, what is this sort of creation collapsing have to do with the whole uh, scenario of people sinning and being judged and w- what's going on here I think is that you cannot isolate an individual's behavior from the whole system um, so an individual turns away from God this involves a corruption of their will their reason their desire but the result is that society is corrupted as well and everybody talks about the least to the greatest um tries to take advantage of one another um the justice is for sale um people are uh, the leaders especially um but every category of citizen gets slammed uh for the way they treat others you know even there's this really challenging little verse in chapter six um it's verse 10 uh to whom can I speak and give warning? Their ears are closed so that they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. Pour it out on the children of the street and the young men gathered together, the husband and the wife. It's almost like he's saying the word of the Lord is even offensive to children in the street. Um, and sure, there are innocent victims, but uh, their innocence sort of gets relativized in this language and where sort of feel, well, they're an innocent victim, but if we gave them the chance, they'd step into the oppressor's role very readily. Mm. Um, so that's step two. The individual is corrupt. 
that corrupt society. And then the connection that I find so interesting in these chapters is this connection between disrupting the good order of society and actually the disruption of the whole creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the logic here goes back to Deuteronomy. It says the God who made the whole world knows how it needs to operate. Uh, later on in Jeremiah, he says, you know, birds only have little bird brains, but they know how to migrate. They just naturally by instinct keep in the order of creation that God made them in. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you do that as humans? You do it by um, responding to the justice and righteousness that God has shown you in his law. Mm-hmm. And if you don't run your society on the basis of God's law, you're like a bird that doesn't know how to migrate, you know, because God's uh, righteous um, order that governs society is the same righteous order that governs all of creation. Mm-hmm. And the standards of goodness that order the created world are the same standards of goodness that order an individual. Um, and so, sorry, it's a long reflection on this, Lionel. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he doesn't, God doesn't just judge a person for some arbitrary reason because that person chooses not to believe in this God. You know, everything is connected to everything else because God is the God of everything. Um, and the place it begins is in here. Mm. Uh, and whether I am willing to let God be God of me. Mm. And from that point, everything is touched. Mm. Uh, that, you know, I think that's so powerful, that connection in these chapters. So we're, the, 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 the issue that we're being judged for the, is, is bigger than us. It's, it's not this small thing. It's, it's everything. It's, it's our yeah. entire beings. We're, we're wrong on so many levels, um, on every level. Um, yeah. And that, yeah, exactly. that wrongness is just everywhere. Uh, and that is yeah. what is bringing God's judgment. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really interesting the way many people read the Old Testament from different traditions um, is they tend to pick a level. They say, look at the way the Old Testament um, shows us the importance of caring for the environment. Um, if only we could apply the Old Testament's um, model of stewardship to this world and not be so stupid about you know, climate change or whatever the environmental issue is. Um, then there's another group of people that apply this straight into politics. Um, you know, Jeremiah's social vision speaks truth to power. And this is a book which tears down out of the military industrial complex. You know, there's a lot of um, streams of scholarship to, that exactly do that. Um, but there's such a danger in separating those, um, as Jeremiah doesn't, from the evils in every human heart, without which, um, what's the point of thinking about everything else? Not that there isn't a point, of yeah. course. Yeah. in working to make society good and creation good. But the root problem is in the individual. So that's, that's a, redu- a reductionistic uh, way yeah. of applying Jeremiah, perhaps, when actually we need a holistic uh, approach to Jeremiah, exactly. especially yeah. to him and, and, and therefore God's judgment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and yeah. I find that with, with um, you know, I've done a little bit of thinking uh, and writing on, on environmental issues. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, we certainly see that where there are, there's a group uh, you know, who will say, well, if we just fix this, uh, then everything will be fine. You know, we just have to, 
I used to work for a solar energy research company. And the idea there was yep. if we just get the science right, then, you know, we'll get solar cells across the rooftops of the world and everything will be great. Uh, but there's, there's corruption at every level. And uh, it's not just one. It's not, not that that means that there's not worth working on, but uh, actually this judgment of God uh, affects everything, including, yeah. as you mentioned, the, the creation. And yeah, that's... Um, yeah, yeah. And I think another... Um, way in which these passages are sometimes interpreted that I'm uncomfortable with is basically to reduce the language of God's judgment to simple cause and effect mm-hmm. uh, to say, well, uh, you bring judgment upon yourself by behaving in a self-destructive way. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible speaks about God's judgment, but it's just sort of um, divinizing the way things are. Yes. Um, and there's a there's a grain of truth in that, isn't there? Um, you know, there is a sense, I think, in which simple natural consequences can be understood as punishment. You know, God makes us creatures who can suffer from our actions, mm. you know, of overindulgence. Mm. Because we know that by moderation, we can avoid the suffering we brought upon ourselves by that chocolate binge or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and yet, um, it's very clear in a book like Jeremiah that there's so many politics on the horizon. You can reduce Israel's demise to a political equation, but God um, doesn't just let things play out. He withholds the rain. He brings Babylon down. And sure, Judah's bad foreign policy has got something to do with it, but actually a hundred years ago, Hezekiah made just a stupid foreign policy decision and God miraculously kept the Assyrian royal Sennacherib from destroying Jerusalem. This time God doesn't keep Nebuchadnezzar from destroying um, Jerusalem. And there's a a theology of history going on where we see that um, you cannot reduce uh, the woes we bring upon ourselves to cause and effect, but God is actually involved at every level. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Intervention. Yeah. It just reminds me. It's in my in my head as a New Testament person. It reminds me of Romans chapter one. Uh, exactly. The wrath of God is being revealed against uh, all the ungodliness and wickedness of humanity. And there is this. There's a, there's a there's a kind of a causality that's going on. There's there's the idea that our minds are corrupt. So we refuse to worship God properly. Mm. We worship the wrong thing because of that. That changes the way that our relationships work and men, women, and all sorts of um, uh, things. And, and, and that's not only changing our relationships, but changing the way that we relate to each other at a broader level. Uh, and yep. uh, then by the end, uh, there's this idea that our, our minds are so foolish that we call what is evil good and we approve of what is, what is actually evil. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah, I feel like Paul's almost quoting Jeremiah there. <laughs> so, so often... Uh, we, we, we constantly have, have, have chats about, uh, so, so Andrew says, what are you thinking about? And I'll say something about Romans or Ephesians and, and Andrew will say, oh, that's coming from Jeremiah. And I'm sure, I'm sure Andrew's right in a lot of ways. I tend to go to, to Isaiah because I'm more familiar with it, but uh, I, I'm sure yeah. Jeremiah. And to be fair, Paul quotes Isaiah more often, but um, he does also quote Jeremiah very close to that point in Romans. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think the thing that's really important to recognise that um, really important for Jeremiah's readers as well, his first readers, to recognize that um, everything that happens happens because God, um, although he wasn't responsible for the evil, 
um, nevertheless gave permission and was entirely um, sovereign and involved uh, in the bad things that happened to them. Mm. Um, and it's a really difficult truth to accept that God um, was behind this terrible thing that happened, even though I deserved it. Mm. But actually it ensures that the exiles in Babylon who are on the other side of this judgment and are reading the book of Jeremiah, that here they are, they're, they're this traumatized, displaced people group, but that's not because God lost control. Mm. You know, it doesn't remove them from the orbit of God's power. Um, so, and sometimes the most uncomfortable truths about God's judgment are the most important, I think. Mm. What, what I, I, maybe it's worth exploring that a bit more. Again, the person that I was mm. speaking to, you know, we, we were talking about a few things as well, and I was saying, well, do you, do you believe in uh, an idea of, of good and evil? And, and mm. this person was saying, well, not, not really. That, that is, it's really just cause and effect. People have grown up in a certain environment. So, so I said, well, what about terrible, terrible crimes? You know, what about some, um, uh, you know, mentioning uh, awful things uh, like you know, child uh, molestation and, and those things? Mm. And he was saying, well, yeah, that's just what happens, you know. <laughs> Uh, and yes, I don't like it, he said, and, and you know, you don't like it. Uh, but, you know, one says you can't, you can't say that it's um, actually evil or anything. There's no, there's no, no standard because there's no God to, to bring about that standard or, yeah. or, or to say that it's, it's evil. Uh, yeah. That's what we were saying. Uh, I guess that's the alternative. At least that's, that's one alternative to yeah. being personally involved in judgment is God not being personally involved in anything. <laughs> yeah, and that's an alternative which entails the removal of our humanity, isn't it? Mm. Uh, our human dignity, our freedom as humans, our responsibility as humans. Um, there's a dignity uh, that is involved here as well in having being held responsible you know i don't hold my dog responsible in the same way that i hold my child responsible yeah, yeah. so judgment actually gives humanity or, or it, it affirms yeah. it affirms our yeah. absolutely in the image of god yeah yeah uh that's yeah. uh well what, how then then does it does it relate to god's compassion then so we, we started at, yeah this, this idea we of did. compassion. How do they relate? Yeah. Um, no, good question, Lionel. I was, in fact, just thinking that right then. Um, just remember where we began, that large context, uh, context where you have these chapters as God, who feels quite compassionate in the chapters two and three, whether he's the husband longing for his wife to come back. You know, he says things like, um, what you've done, the way you've gone after other gods um, and being unfaithful me, to me in that way. If that was an actual husband-wife relationship according to the law of Moses, not only um, would I divorce you, but it would be illegal for us ever to get married again, but I want you to come back to me. <laughs> you know, I'll break, the, I'll break that law. That's how I feel about you. Then it seems that that God has been left behind. But you get, um, I think the first hint of the way this works comes in chapter four 
where, um, Jer and we have to remember the whole time, this isn't God just speaking out of the sky. This is God speaking through Jeremiah, a human standing probably in the temple, saying these words to listeners who are responding, well, you know, you can only guess. Um, and I think I um, remember I, I was talking about God's questions where he says, wash the evil from your heart and be saved. How mm. long will you harbor wicked thoughts? Just picking it up, say, from chapter 4, verse 16, he says, tell this to the nations, proclaim concerning Jerusalem, a besieging army is coming from a distant land, raising a war cry against the cities of Judah. They surrounded her like men guarding a field because she's rebelled against me, declares the Lord. Your own conduct and actions have brought this on you. This is your punishment. How bitter it is, how it pierces to the heart. And then we hear this change of speaker. It's not marked, but the next verse says, Oh, my anguish, my anguish, I writhe in pain. Oh, the agony of my heart, my heart pounds within me. I cannot keep silent, for I've heard the sound of a trumpet. I've heard the battle cry. And it sounds like Jeremiah, all of a sudden, is unable to keep prophesying what God has told him, and he just does the reaction of horror at the words that he's been asked to say. Um, and this is a very distinctive feature of Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 is the first time that it happens but you sort of have to, just to double check right. I, I think yeah 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 yep, yeah yeah uh, yeah quite distinctive to Jeremiah I think yeah. and as you go through into chapter uh, all the way to chapter 20 really you get these more and more Jeremiah apparently inserting himself uh, into his own message yeah. uh, sometimes he complains about the suffering that being a prophet has made him experience. Uh, sometimes like this verse, he cries out in anguish at what God is announcing that he's going to do to his people. Because if you think about it, Jeremiah is actually one of those people that all of this is coming to. Mm -hmm. um, but just think about what's going on. The book of Jeremiah, uh, and in fact, these chapters don't have subheadings where they say, okay, hang on, this is Jeremiah. Now this is God. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Jeremiah, the, one of the amazing things about the book of Jeremiah is the way in which the prophet doesn't become part of his own message because he's a young rebel. It becomes part of his own message because God designed him to be that sort of a prophet. And what Jeremiah's reaction shows us is that the loving husband, um, the father who longs to treat the people as his children, God has actually not stopped being that God mm. while he's started being this angry warrior. Mm. But Jeremiah shows us through his reaction how God is both of those gods together, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Um, it, it reminds me and, of Jesus, and I'm maybe absolutely there. I just jumped to Jesus, but as Jesus does, uh, he he speaks woes upon uh, the, the the city of uh, well, woes upon the leaders of, of Judah and uh, yeah. Judea, and then he he says, "Oh, you know, Jerusalem, Jerusalem," and, and just longs for for Jerusalem to turn mm. back. Uh, to yeah, um, no, exactly, and I don't think that's an illegitimate jump. You know, the more you go through the book of Jeremiah, I think the more 
of a Christ figure Jeremiah becomes. He's somebody um, at his call. Uh, God says um, in chapter one, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. It's like he's been shaped as this little vessel. And then what God does is he says in verse nine, he reached out his hand, touched my mouth, said, I've put my words in your mouth. And so it's like Jeremiah is this vessel full of the words of God. And when he speaks those words, those words, it says in uh, chapter one, verse 10, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down. That's what the words do when they come out of his mouth. They tear nations down. Mm. But Jeremiah is the speaker of those words in some ways actually embodies them. Uh, you know, he, he's not an incarnation of the word of God, but he does embody the words that he speaks. Mm. Um, and that's really suggestive, I think. Mm, mm. he's yeah uh, that 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 it's not a, it's not a mingling of the divine and human but it is no. the divine certainly speaking through the human and through it we we gain a, a glimpse of the divine uh you know attitude towards our humanity and who we are in our sin yeah 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 um, and i think just to move uh before you let me go uh, into, say, Jeremiah 40. I'm home all day, Andrew. I'm not sure about you, but. <laughs> um, as we see Jeremiah um, give what's, what scholars call his confessions, which are his outpourings of personal uh, complaint against his calling to be a prophet, um, what you see in those chapters. Uh, is that Jeremiah um, feels the um, anguish and wrath of God. It's like God fills Jeremiah not just with his words of wrath, but with his wrath. And Jeremiah reacts almost with God's own reactions against the people of Israel who have behaved so heinously. But then at the very same time, Jeremiah experiences the terror, uh, the sense of sinfulness, uh, the fear of impending doom uh, that he has because he's a member of the people that's being judged. Um, and it's almost the essence of the prophetic calling is to be the person in the middle, isn't it? Mm. You know, and you, at one and the same time, you feel God's wrath channeled through you against the people who've been uh, so despicable towards God, but you also feel the human pain and suffering that result from the sin which you share. Mm. And um, Jeremiah's confessions emerge out of the, what it's like to be caught in the middle there. Mm. Um, and I think what Jeremiah's taught me about Jesus is that um, Jesus just didn't suffer in Gethsemane. You know, I don't think one moment of Jesus' life as a human was an untroubled moment. Mm. Uh, if you know, it's dangerous to psychologize mm. biblical characters, uh, including Jesus. Um, but the internal struggle that comes from simultaneously representing God and humans. 
I feel as I read Jeremiah, just what a deep struggle that must have been every moment for Jesus. Mm. Mm. And, and, and also, and obviously it's, it's not just psychologizing, is it? It's just, it's there in say Hebrews. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's the reflection that I was, uh, I had in my, my mind as well, that what you, what you see in Jesus and what, what Jesus is, it, it, he, he is, God, not, not just standing away from humanity and from us and judging us from a distance, but actually in his holiness, entering into our humanity and yeah. taking upon himself our humanity and in, in doing so and, and then going to the cross, uh, taking upon himself God's judgments uh, to the fullest extent that he possibly yeah. could. Uh, and yeah. That is what brings us our our freedom, uh, and yeah. he's doing that in our place. It's, it's representative, but also in our place. He goes to the place that we don't go, and we don't don't, don't have to go to that that ultimate judgment yeah. for those yeah, yeah. who believe in him. Yeah, how terrible the world would be if God wasn't judged. Mm. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, which is what Jeremiah teaches us, and that's why we need. Uh, uh, it's 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 there in Jeremiah. You wouldn't get it properly if you didn't have uh, that Old Testament um, uh, word that, that points us down. Yeah. yeah. Well, that that's uh, that's really helpful, Andrew. Thank you. Um, I always enjoy our chats. And uh, oh, thanks for letting me talk about Jeremiah. Yes. Yeah, I, I think very very helpful. And at this at this time when we're you know feeling. Uh, isolated and, and feeling mm. perhaps even more acutely the, the fact that we're in a, a world that's under God's judgment. Uh, this yeah. is a very timely word. So thank you. Oh, no, thank you. You've been listening to ISO Chats Theology. I'm Lytle Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing us and please review and rate the podcasts on your favourite podcast platform so others get to hear about it too. Video versions are available on YouTube or on my website at lionelwindsor.net. You might also like to check out another podcast I've created called Lift Your Eyes, a series of 70 reflections on Ephesians. And by the way, the name for this podcast was created by Adelaide Windsor. The theme music was written and performed by me and Harry Windsor, and the cover art was designed by Ellie Windsor. Love their work. Thanks for listening.